This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Dory 1, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to episode 43. Today's episode with Tom Schwab, it's a good one. Let me just preface it with that. Tom used to run nuclear power plants as a naval officer, and he brings a perspective that we haven't heard in the podcast as a grandfather today. And so he has the season of life that he's in now. He has a season of life that he reflects on as a dad and all the in-between of how to live a fruitful life and how the riches of our life are determined by the riches of our relationships. And Tom is an embodiment to that philosophy. So without further ado, I just wanted to get you started right into this episode because it's that good and I know you will enjoy it. So here we go with Tom Schwab. Welcome to the show, Tom. Ben, I am thrilled to be here. I first met you at Podcast Movement for the for the first time, and I think we talked for like 45 minutes, like we had been friends forever. I think we had connected online before that, but it's so weird because today you're not sure, do I know them in real life? Do I know them online? It's like weird when you meet somebody in person for the first time, you know, uh, you know, do you give them a hug and you, even though you've known them for a couple of years and then the other thing, it's always amazing. You never know how tall anybody is, uh, because we're all, you know, 150 pixels by 150 pixels on, on social media. Yeah. Aaron Walker has that effect. He does not look anything like that on his Facebook videos. And then he's in real life. He's like a giant. Well, and uh, I try to keep my uh, social media picture updated, right? I don't want uh, somebody to meet me and wonder, when did he get all the gray hair? I like that. (laughs) Uh, Go ahead and unpack a little bit about what your family looks like right now. You're at a different season of life than most dads we have on the podcast. It is. I, I started early, um, and so I got to enjoy uh, grandkids earlier in life. So uh, we've got uh, four kids between the two of us. Uh, my wife and I both are on second marriages here. Uh, so Samantha is 31, Ian is 28, Allison is 23, and Emily is 20. Um, Samantha, the oldest, is married and has blessed us with two wonderful grandchildren. I used to say great-grandchildren but it really ticked off my wife. So I got to call them wonderful grandchildren. Um, uh, uh, Alice, or excuse me, Charlotte is five and Bo is three. And, uh, you know, my wife and I are married. We're loving this season of our lives. Um, you know, we're empty nesters now. So one of the things that we do is, you know, Kalamazoo's always going to be home. It's where the family is. But one week out of every month, uh, we live in a different city. Because for us, it's a virtual company. Work is what we do, not where we go. Uh, so it really gives us the opportunity to to travel, to to spend time with family, and really do a work life integration more than a work life balance. At what season were when you when you were serving? Did you have your family? How many um, years were you in the military? Or maybe it was after. So I was four years at the uh, Naval Academy and then five years active duty. So both of uh, my two oldest children uh, were born uh, while I was active duty. And, uh, you know, it was the, uh, the joke, you can be there for the, um, the birth or the conception. Um, so with my son, uh, I was deployed when he was born. Uh, so Samantha, I was still in the training pipeline for nuclear power when she was uh, born and conceived. Um, but by the time uh, Ian came around, uh, I was I was deployed during Desert Storm for that. So it was it was challenges. And, you know, when people tell me, you know, thank you for your service. 
I had fun. I mean, that, that was great. I enjoyed it. I think it was really tough on the families. Mm -hmm. If you could rewind us back to those moments, uh, there's a question we ask in all the podcast episodes. What does it mean for you to come home back then when it was crazy? Did you have the awareness of like what it meant for to come home to that family yet? Or were you in a different mindset as a family man back then? Uh, No, I think, um, coming home back then was slightly different from the standpoint of we were much more isolated, right? Uh, I always say that my Naval service probably had more in common with World War II than it does uh, the service members of today, right? So we were communicating back and forth with mail. There was, um, you know, if there was a problem at home, if the car broke down, there was nothing you could do about it. You know, you were, uh, you were a month's worth of letters away from there. Whereas now, you know, you're in real time communication. I can't imagine that, uh, you know, talking to your family and then trying to get your head right and to go into battle. Um, so to me, coming home was so special. It was reconnecting. And I think as a dad, it was, um, it was challenging, especially with the little kids. I can remember, you know, I'd been gone for nine months. Uh, to me, um, Dad was a picture, uh, somebody they got letters from, postcards. And when I, I came home, it was a challenge where the kids would walk by me and say, Mom, can I go outside and play? I almost felt like I was a visitor or a stranger there. Uh, and that took some time uh, just to reestablish those, uh, uh, those connections and being seen as a parent, uh, not just a, a visitor. I've heard a couple dads bring it to my attention, the idea that, Especially if like you're maybe there for the birth, but it uh, then you had to go like your mind as a, you don't realize it as or even just having kids being there the entire time every day of how your brain is adjusting every day and growing as a father every day. But when you miss those nine months, you're really just going and getting on a bike without training wheels and trying to figure out how to stay on balance. And your your family doesn't learn how to do life with like they still miss you but they still create systems and processes that don't require you to be there. And it, I, many dads have told me that they get, it's just very uh, useless feeling, like they don't feel needed. Is there any advice that you want to maybe unpack there for other dads out there with that feeling? Yeah, and I think the older your kids get, sometimes you feel that same way, right? Um, do you feel useless because they don't need me? Or do you feel proud that they've put together a structure that doesn't fall apart when I'm not there. So, you know, part of it could be, well, they function well enough uh, without me. I remember people talking about direct deposit dad, right? That that's what you were providing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could look at it that way, but I'm like, that's so cool that I've seen some of the strongest families come out of the military where they can do it with one parent being deployed, or even now, sometimes two parents being deployed uh, at different times. And I think as the, the kids get older, a lot of people struggle with that. Um, kids, uh, the getting more independence and they don't need you in the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they push back on that. And the, the whole idea is to, to, to raise adults, not to raise children. Mm-hmm. And so from that standpoint, um, I think in some ways, um, the military families um, can grow up faster, stronger. They have to do it on their own. And uh, from uh, military dads, you sort of get a taste of that early on, that uh, mm-hmm. what what they're going to do when you're not there uh, watching them all the time. And it's, yeah. it's a great testament to, you know, in the, in the Navy, we used to say you judge a ship when the skipper's not there, right? And uh, it's the same way, uh, you sort of judge a family, you judge the kids when the when the parents aren't there. So what do they act like? Um, not Not do they do the right thing when you're there, but do they do the right thing when you're not there? I'm always... Um even on the, like, uh, it was this past week, there was a night where it was like Dante's Inferno in my house. My wife was gone and it was pretty much me and the house was burning down. And, uh, the, um, in the figurative sense, uh, but, uh, I was, I always reflect on that all the kids have perfect, um, behavior at school almost, and that they're all perfect in the classroom. And like, that's really where you test your the, your impact as a parent, not how they react to you, not whether you think they don't or do respect you, but are they a good person when they go out into the world? Like just in school, like that's a very simple litmus test to really find out whether you're being an effective father or 
if they're not good at home and not good to school, well, then you got some work to do. But if it's one or the other, then you're probably just stressing about things at home that don't really matter. Yeah, and sometimes we can be overcritical. Um, you know, running a business when somebody compliments your business and it wasn't you that uh, that did it, it almost feels like being a parent when somebody compliments your kid and it's like, wow, um, I, I didn't even know that, but thank you so much. And I always think early on, um, I think my kids stepped up more when dad was watching them and mom wasn't there, uh, especially like in grade school, because they realized I didn't know the schedule. Um, that if they didn't tell me what time we needed to get there, if they weren't ready, we'd be late. If they forgot their lunches, um, dad was going to be on a sales call a hundred miles away by the time lunchtime came around. Uh, so there was no calling them and, uh, like they could with mom and say, Hey, could you bring my lunch? It's like, no, nope, you get a snack when, uh, or you eat lunch when school's over. Mm -hmm. And I read an article recently that said military kids, while they do go through life harder and they have to answer and deal with questions that most kids don't understand, it's very similar to, um, were you at MIC in 2018? I wasn't. Uh, 2019 was the first year. Um, uh, uh, Mr. Rockefeller, I can't, what's his first name from Street Shares? Oh. Mark, isn't it? Mark Rockefeller. He talks about how military members are perfectly aligned to bring the world back together. And I think military kids are some of the best people, even more than people who just joined for their service, because they literally learned under adverse circumstances of how to be an adult, where you have to learn to make friends quickly and learn to let those friends go, but learn how to find community each time, learn how to find yourself over and over. Like, when kids get through that, there is a gift of just community acceptance and the ability to bring people together that that's kind of the kind of people we need more in the world. So it's, it's a little bit like the military families are incubators for these next generation of adults that are going to help bridge our families back together or build the country almost back together in some ways. I agree with you. And I think it helps them get ready for the global world we live in. So, um, Military kids probably understand time zones better than non-military uh, kids, right? Because mm -hmm. they understand what it means. Uh, moving around, seeing the world as a bigger place. Uh, it'd be an interesting test to see how they do on geography versus the, the standard. Uh, my guess is that they do a whole lot better because they've either been to the countries, mom or dad has been to the countries, they, they know where friends friends have been there. And the other thing too is just not seeing the world as, um, you know, my town plus or minus 50 miles. Um, yeah. They've moved around. They, they see that you can do that. Um, I, I think of one person I knew that, uh, you know, she had, she had everything going for her in the world. Uh, beautiful young girl got a scholarship to college, but college was a, an hour away and she was so scared to go there. She went to college. She lasted a semester and she was heartbroken, uh, crying every weekend. And her parents would bring her home. And I'm like, the world was hers. And it just got really, really small. And, you know, now uh, she's probably mid-30s and still in that same town. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I look at that and say, if you choose that, but not because you're scared uh, of what else is out there. Uh, was in a, uh, a mastermind group and there was somebody... Um, that it was the first time the, the their family had had moved like ever. And they were getting a coach to explain to them, you know, all the changes that were going to go on and help the kids. And I, I had a sort of chuckle. I'm like, just, you don't need a coach. You need like a, a, a 10 year old military kid. They can tell you exactly how to do it. All the rest of that, because mm -hmm. they know that's normal for them. And I think in our global society, um, it's going to be more normal, you know? Um, yeah. You remind me of two things there that uh, as an obligation, as a dad, we have an obligation to give our kids the widest view of the American dream and that experience of travel, especially if you were stationed in like Europe with your family where those opportunities are like in South Korea or Japan, like there is just something about being able to see world, the world through that different lens that gives them so much more view of what is possible for their life versus that's. And so if we have like, if you're like me when we had kids after I haven't been able to do it. We did a vacation to Florida for the first time, but that was really about the first time we really got out. But I'm convinced my kids will have a worldly view still because, I mean, Americans have the world opinion, but we actually only 10% leave the country. So it's kind of like an oxymoron. So 
uh, I want to make sure that I've always said it. I don't know whether I'll get there. I'll always try, but like in India, I always want my kids to see someone with nothing and smile or that's smiling because that's, I mean, how many times in America do you see someone that has nothing that has a smile on their face? It's very rare, but in India it's all over. So just knowing that it's not things and just being able to see how other people find joy in their life. That's not just the American way. And I think that's, that's something that in the military to me was one of the greatest gifts was being able to see the world and also see how blessed we are and how much you appreciate it. Um, you know, I had never seen poverty until, um, I was deployed overseas and my view of what poverty was and what it actually was, was totally different, right? Some of the nicest people in the world, some of the, the most, um, smartest. They might not have been formally educated, but they were smart people. They were loving. And it made me appreciate how blessed we were to be in this country. And I can remember my um, uh, third daughter, when she was in high school, her and her mom took a mission trip to Haiti. And you know, her idea of poverty where we live is somebody that had a used car and didn't have the newest iPhone at school. I mean, mm-hmm. those were the poor kids. Um, yeah. And she went to Haiti and she admitted later that the reason she went there is because she wanted her passport stamped. Um, She wanted to prove that she'd been out of the country. And she came back as a, I want to say it was a sophomore in high school and was just amazed. She fell in love with the kids, with the people down there. You know, she was taking French and uh, the kids there spoke better English than she did French. So they were helping her and she was that, uh, um, that they were happy. They were educated. They were kids that were five years younger than her that were studying the same math that she was and they were studying it on a chalkboard and they were writing in the dirt with sticks. And Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it gave her a better appreciation for the world. And like you said, a global citizen there and, um, what we all have in common is a whole lot more than we have apart. I like that. There was another thing that we talk about a lot that dads often overcomplicate is that just um, how kids measure love. And so we often repeat the advice that kids spell love, T-I-M-E. When you were a dad, what were some of the simplest things that your kids loved doing with you that you were like, really, that's what you remember, but that's something that they always consistently ask to do with dad? Hanging out, right? Like you said, it's totally time. I remember coming back from deployment and my daughter was... uh, all about four and asked her where she wanted to go for lunch. We'd go for anywhere um, we wanted to. And she got on this little dress and she wanted to go to McDonald's. And I'm like, really? Yes, McDonald's. And then uh, later on in life, I remember asking her the same thing. She wanted to go to McDonald's, but actually eat in the car, sit in the car. That was something so different from her. So with that, I I let the kids decide what they want to do. And follow their their lead in that. So for my daughter, it was getting dressed up and and going someplace. And it was the silliest places. Uh, my son liked to go to work with me. He wanted to see what dad was all about. So you know, he wanted to come and have lunch. And um, I miss those days uh, aboard ship when I was on duty. And you know, the family would come in for dinner. Um, those mm-hmm. were those were special times. And uh, even to the point where you get to meet other people's families too because they were there. That's good. And I remember there's a, so living in Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Dells marketing is everywhere. Oh yeah. And so growing up with the kids, I was always like, oh man, I feel like the internal pressure to get the kids to the great wolf, to the wilderness was super high. It's like, oh, we got to go. We haven't been yet. And other people are going. So now I got FOMO and now it's keeping up with the Joneses. And I don't know what caused me to pause for a moment, but I decided, I think my, I think my kids were maybe like four and two, maybe my youngest was three, um, that we just decided, I found a Holiday Inn in Madison that had a pirate ship in the middle. And that the kids absolutely loved that f- stupid pirate ship. We went back three times. And it's, it's amazing how adults, we overcomplicate what we, the kids actually want. And when I pulled back and just found that pirate ship, and we did end up going to the Dells later, but... I was, I would have just wasted money and it would have been useless. And you just, it, they just want your time. They just want a simple thing to play with in the water. It wasn't like the water park that they want. We want water parks because that's, that's what we just grew up with. But 
is not what they want right now. So it's, it's very difficult to presently switch your mind there as a dad to keep it simple, stupid. And listening to what they want, not what marketing tells you they want. Um, And it's interesting being, having the kids older now to hear the stories that they tell. Um, You know, we did some fun things, you know, went on cruises, did the Disney thing, all the rest of that. That doesn't come up in the stories. You know, um, my son will talk about Digger Park and um, it was this park in town where it had the the little excavators that you could sit on and move them with mm. your hands. My son's got a digger park that he always wants to go to. And uh, that to this day, he calls it Digger Park. And, uh, you know, we take our grandson there. And I think my son, if he could fit on those still, you know, at 28 years old, would probably spend the day at Digger Park. That was like his best place just to go there. Or the um, uh, the stories they tell about going camping. You know, there's something about uh, that struggle, that common bound, uh, the funny things that dad did. Those where memories come from. Um, you don't need a picture from from Disney uh, to have a memory. If anything, I think the pictures that uh, that aren't in the frames are the ones that are are the strongest. Mm-hmm. And my daughter seems to have a memory of el- my, an elephant, my oldest. And the things that she remembers from back, it's just, and it's never anything that I tried designing to be the best memory in the world. Like our kids haven't mentioned Florida. I don't, I, now that I think, but I don't think they've ever mentioned Florida since we spent a week down there on the beach. And I mean, we had a condo, we had an Airbnb and we beached it for seven days. And I don't think any of those memories have been mentioned yet. Um, and we did everything. I mean, we were together, but it was still just um, that they our favorite thing to do is is to go mall walking, which is to go walk with the senior citizens at the mall before it opens. Like that's, I can't, they probably ask 200 times a year to go walk at the mall and ride little stupid uh, rides that they have there. And, and we ask why, and they're asking why not. Uh, yeah. The other, the other thing that I think is important is that kids want a sense of history and who they are and how they belong in things. Um, so telling stories from when you were a kid. Uh, I find it's easier to teach lessons that way, to tell how I learned something or telling stories about friends and you know how we overcame struggles, even to the point of uh, on trips, going back and showing them you know where, where mom and dad grew up or um, where they went to school if it's out of town. Um, my dad grew up on the near west side of Chicago and it's a bad, well, yeah. It's a relative thing, right? Uh, There's a lot of crime. That's where most of the shootings are. Um, And even when I was growing up as a kid, um, I always wanted to see where he grew up and he would never take us in that neighborhood. Um, And I think part of it was it broke his heart to see what the Mm -hmm. neighborhood had become. Um, But, you know, years after he died, one of my cousins um, said, oh, I'll take you and I'll show you exactly where it was. That was like a kid on a field trip. You know, to have that that connection and know, oh, that's where grandma and grandpa used to live. And, you know, um, my aunt and uncle, they lived on, you know, the second floor of that of the three story and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all the rest of that. And just to look around, oh, there's the high school my dad went to. That was more important for me than to go to the architectural tour in downtown Chicago because I had a personal connection to it. So I think that is something uh, that as, as dads, military dads, whatever, uh, that we can give our kids because those are stories that they'll share on with their family too. That's, I like that. And you've, you've hit something there that, that I think military dads are the worst at is that because we transition, we're in and out and our ego is generally a very high, strong, it's very on that those types of stories of failure, or maybe, maybe they're not stories of weakness or failure, but even just exposing something from our past, we feel is like a, a mode of weakness. Like you wouldn't share with your platoon that you did something embarrassing in high school. Like that's something that's going to get you ridiculed and, and, and uh, made fun of. But, and so that programming as you transition out gets stuck on and but in reality, those lessons, those lessons of being bullied, those lessons of how you overcame it, like that's how you strengthen the bond of how, because like right now my daughter's in second grade and there's first world problems in second grade with friends and the friends go on and off like a light switch. But those are real, those are her world right now. So like being able to walk through her on those with my stories, when the problems are real problems that I'm hoping that by tr- like almost like putting in the reps of training 
that you talk about the simple things when they're young. So that way they're there to come to you when the big things happen when they're older. Yeah. And I, early on, it struck me that everybody's problems are big problems to them. Uh, when Ian, uh, my son was in kindergarten, uh, he came home and he was talking about at school. They talked about what they wanted to be when they grew up. And after he finished, I said, uh, you know what I want to be when I grow up? And he looked at me funny. It's like, you are grown up. And I said, no, I want to be a kindergartner, right? Mom makes you breakfast in the morning. You go to a half day of school, you come home, mom makes you lunch, you play, you have dinner. I said, that's the kind of life I want. And he looked at me dead faced and he goes, it's a real hard half day. And to him, it was right. His world had been, I never had to go to school. Now I got to go there for like four hours. Mm -hmm. So I, I try not to downplay the, the problems that, uh, that they're having. And the other thing, there's a, a great book called, um, it's your ship. Um, I can't think of the guy's name. He's a uh, Naval Academy. Uh, he was like same company as me, but five years ahead. I never met him in real life, but he had a different philosophy of not telling people what to do, but asking, what do you think you should do? You know, it's your ship. And for most of the, um, uh, the enlisted and the senior enlisted, they'd be there for through like three skippers, right? So it was more their ship than it was his ship. And so he tried to push it back and ask them the questions of what you would do. And that is so different than everything that I was hardwired, right? At the academy and then at, um, uh, in nuclear power, it's like, you know what to do and you tell them what to do, right? And the problem is, is that you can't tell them everything they need to do. So make them start thinking on that. So that's, mm -hmm. that's always a, a tough thing to ask them, well, what do you think we should do? Um, because, you know, even in business now and family, um, the best leaders aren't the ones that lead. The best leaders are the ones that make more leaders, right? So you think mm -hmm. about it. Um, I want my kids to, to grow up and be leaders, not followers. And so um, to do that, they're going to have to make decisions. They're going to have to question all the rest of that. And um, that is really, really tough. Uh, it goes against my grain of wanting to know the answer. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just to be able to ask the questions and keep asking them the questions until they get one that's at least 80% right. Yeah, I like to equate it almost like the bowling. That is a parent, your job is to try, that you give them some lane to play in, but you got the bumpers on. The, they're mm -hmm. not going to go into the gutter. But at some point in life, when they turn 18, the gutters go down or the bumpers go down. And now there's a chance that they're going to make a decision, but the ball could end up in the gutter. And that's perfectly okay. But it's like what you're saying, give them the opportunity, but you're going to be a parent and make sure that the, the choice is still inside the bumpers. But letting them know that they have a choice. And you, you hit on something that I don't think a lot of da dads are aware of, that when you tell a child at what, no matter what age, whether it's a 16-year-old that's having 16-year-old problems or eight-year-old that's having eight-year-old problem, and you try to make what they're feeling feel less, you're conditioning them to suppress what they're actually feeling. And feelings are meant to be understood, not suppressed. And that little habit that you're conditioning by telling them that they can't feel this certain way because what you view it as is stupid or it's, this isn't something that's going to bother you when you're 25 to them right now, it's real. So if you aren't wor working through that emotion and validating it, that this is the real them that they have right now. And they're still trying to figure out 16, like I'm trying to figure out 35. You, you're going to create an adult that can't work through the emotions that they're feeling, especially at the workplace. Think about Someone upset him at the workplace. And if this little micro moment of subconscious programming is going to condition them to suppress someone that's upsetting him at work versus trying to work through it. Yeah. And at 35 at work, you can't tell the teacher. Um, yeah. It better to figure it out early. And I was reading a, a book recently and they made the point that the brain doesn't know the difference between fear and excitement. And that's why on a roller coaster, people yell the same way if they're excited or they're fearful. And uh, it was Mercer Pierce that I uh, that heard it from. And it was interesting. And so when I, I've tried to look at it now of when I'm fearful, I tell myself, oh, I'm excited, right? Oh, um, I'm scared of this happening. Oh, I'm excited. How are we going to fix this? And I think sometimes if we take that to our kids also and to look at problems as opportunities. So I've got this problem at school. There's this bullying. Uh, not to say... Oh, that's awful. All the rest of that. 
that's great, right? So this is an opportunity. You know, how can how can you leverage that? How can you make the most out of that? What can you learn from that? And just to condition them early on that it's not a problem, it's an opportunity. And like you said before, with those bumpers up there, um, you want you always want to make mistakes. You just don't want to make fatal mistakes. Mm-hmm. So um, you'd rather the kid learns, uh, you know, the importance of telling the truth. Um, you know, when they um, when they're in first grade or yeah, when there's no grade. real world consequences for maybe what that, what telling the truth means. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't figure that out until the time you're uh, 35, uh, there's consequences called prison for that. Yeah. So uh, better to learn those, uh, those early on. And there was, you were talking about the fear. I've, I've heard the same thing from Olympi- Olympians. They say the same thing when they're doing things that us is very fearful that they think it's very exciting and that's something they condition themselves to keep pushing themselves as they just frame it. I'm very excited because the brain doesn't distinguish. Yeah, I know which I've heard that said too as well. There's one thing that I, I want to maybe tap into is that since you're a grandpa now, what advice would you write on a sticky note and leave on the table for a younger Tom Schwab? Enjoy every day. Enjoy the journey. Um, and you were just talking about, you know, the, the, the struggles as 35 year old and anybody that's over 35 would go back and look at them and go, Oh, that was great. You know, those were the good years because the problems in hindsight don't seem as big with that. And there's, you know, it's enjoy a uh, great James Taylor song. The secret of life is enjoying the passage of time. And I, I think you've got to enjoy every step there. Enjoy what you're learning. Enjoy what you're experiencing. Um, you know, as a young parent, when you're up all night with your child, there's someday you're going to be thinking, oh, that was the good time. You know, um, just enjoy every thing of it and not racing to get the next thing. Because you look back and that race went really fast. And uh, it's, it's not the outcome. It's the journey that you want to enjoy. And uh, that, that would be the thing that I would point back to. There, you remind me of something that, uh, so my son is often always like, daddy, one more. He's kind of like the one more guy, kid in, at night. And you go downstairs, you just want to like watch a Netflix episode, go to bed. And multiple times, he's getting better, but multiple times he would just go, daddy, I need one more hug. Daddy, one more hug. And you'd be already down sitting, uh, relaxing. And you're just like, the instinct is just to kind of almost start yelling like, daddy, I'm done or I'm done, Dylan, just go to bed. And I had to reframe it what you were talking about there, that there's going to be a day that that one more daddy is all I want to hear. And you just, and you just have to remember that this is a season you're in. And if you don't enjoy the heck out of the season and get the entire harvest I've never really equated the season to to farming, but if you don't get the entire crop out of the field, when you're in that season, you're going to regret those apples you left on the tree. Mm -hmm. Um, And every one of those moments is going to be one that you're just like, that's a moment you're going to wish when, when you're having to deal with the birds and the bees, you're like, man, it was so much easier. And they just wanted one more hug versus trying to figure out how to date kids and how to break up with someone like, and they're all good seasons. It's just, you have to make sure you're consciously aware that the season isn't forever, but, and I think consumerism is what kind of conditions us to think of life that doesn't have consequences that you can eat what you need to, you can spend what you want and you can just keep, pay it off later on a credit card. But family time isn't one of those things that, and in the military, I think a lot of people get hung up on like, um, I'm sure it's, you've seen it a little bit where people go on deployment and it's like a credit card. You're borrowing time from your family. But if you come back and you don't consciously repay that debt, your credit card just builds and builds. And eventually the bank calls their notes and you end up getting a divorce. And I love that analogy because it's easy to make deposits with the kids when they're younger, right? So that mm-hmm. one more hug, um, telling them you love them, telling them you're there for them. Um, being supportive, um, even when they make bad decisions, um, doing that, building that trust, because all of a sudden, you know, you hit those teenage years and those kids are just taking the withdrawals out of there. And if you've got that, that foundation of love and trust and all the rest of that, it makes it so much easier to get, get through that. Um, and I even saw that with my, um, with my son. So 
my daughter, I was around for the first three years of her life and we had this foundation. And for my son, I think it probably took till he was probably three for us to really be tight. You know, I came home from deployment and, uh, you know, he, I'd walk in the room, he was three months old breastfeeding and he would just melt down screaming and all the rest of that. And I'd have to leave the room. And, uh, so I'd, I'd go hang out with my, my daughter who knew who I was. And that was tough there. What did you tell yourself? How did you get through that mentally as far as just not feeling like rejected or a failure? I think a failure is probably the word that would come to mind if I was a dad like that. Uh, failure or, you know, rejected. I mean, when you're rejected by your three month old son and I, I understood, right. Um, mm-hmm. I was a stranger in there and it took time. Uh, but I think it drove me closer to my daughter. We were much closer during that time because we had a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if it would have been the same way, you know, the mother, um, mother child bond and everything like that. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, as a somebody in the military that has it all together, you know, a hard charger, not scared of anything. I can do anything. Uh, I got this then to come back and, uh, you know, have a, have a three month old, uh, reject you and mess with your confidence. Uh, that was just wild. And it was hard to, especially after deployment, you know, you've been there for, and we were gone for nine months. I can remember, um, laying in bed one Saturday morning and, um, my daughter knocked on the door and just out of force of habit, I just yelled enter. Right. That's, 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 what I, that's what I was used to. And the door didn't open. And then I heard tears on the other side and you know, this little girl did not want enter. Uh, even though that's, if she would have understood what it meant, you know, she didn't want enter being yelled from the other side of the door. She would have wanted to say, you know, come in, honey. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it's, it's tough. We have to put on our dad hat. We have to put on our military hat. And, uh, um, sometimes the, ki- the kids see us with both. And it's funny, even though that, you know, um, I got out of the service when my daughter was what five and my son was, oh, three, I guess. Uh, they still have, I don't know if it's memories or they tell stories about it. Uh, and it's fun now that they're older to hear them tell the stories, uh, songs that I used to sing to them, uh, you know, cadence and stuff like that, that they're singing to the grandkids. And I'm like, uh, you know, they have no idea who, you know, we're Mr. Hodges Raiders, we're Raiders of the night. Yeah. They have no idea who Mr. Hodges is. Uh, and I've shown them pictures of them on Facebook and stuff like that, but they just know that's the, that's the story. And I think there's a pivotal moment and I commend you for being able to consciously step into that. I've talked to a couple of dads that they will push themselves back when they, when they feel that rejection, because it, 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 I don't know if it's somehow it's like part of the military program or it just makes us really uncomfortable with an emotion that we don't know how to work through. And then they almost put barriers like that you could have been the dad that had a beautiful relationship with your daughter but had the son that never really got connected with their father. I mean, there's a multiple ways that that could have played out. And your son could have been the kid that rebounded and lives in your basement in, in some worlds if he didn't connect with his dad and figure out how to grow up and be a good adult. And it, you pivoted at that moment and just realized that it's just going to take a little bit of extra work to get through this. I say sometimes these podcast interviews are like therapy sessions. When you said, did you feel rejected? You know, it's like, wow, yeah, I guess I did. From a, a lieutenant in the Navy, right? Running nuclear reactors. Snap his fingers and make lots of stuff happen. Exactly. And I, I, can, I, can, uh, uh, I can split atoms and uh, make the ship go through the water. But a three-year-old, uh, you know, screaming at me when I walk in the room, um, wasn't trained for that. It's a perfect uh, battlefield for, for leadership training as parent. And, <laughs> and I think the main difference is control. Like in the military, you have almost absolute control, especially if you're in some type of NCO or, or superior or uh, role where you're looking over people. But at home, you really don't. And I think that's an illusion that I often repeat to myself that control at home is an illusion. You're really just hanging on, keeping them in the bumpers and tr- um, trying to hang, uh, just keep it normal. Uh, there was, I took big, my wife went to China for a teaching trip and I was a single dad for 10 days. 
And the biggest thing that happened was like, I would realize I would punish someone at two o'clock and I would forget about what the punish was by four o'clock. <laughs> like I was just making so many decisions. Like my CPU was overheating and I couldn't even remember all the things that I was dealing out with. And eventually it, by like the fourth or fifth day, I just gave myself grace. I only really, I picked my punishment. I picked what I wanted to pause. And maybe it was like one out of four bad behaviors that I would pause and try to isolate. Cause it's, you're really just trying to keep that bowling ball in the bumpers. And if it might go weaver and it might get close again, but you just have to pick which one is the one that you're going to try to do in that moment, but you can't have control over it. You really just are part of a stream flowing down a river and just trying to keep everybody in the raft at the same time. It, it, that is so true. And I think true leadership um, is shown in the family, right? Because like you said, yeah, um, in the military, if you don't listen, uh, can take pay away, can put you in the brig, can put you on bread and water. Um, you've got power and authority. In some ways, it's almost like being in the prison system, right? Mm -hmm. You got to do, do what the guards say. Um, then you get home. And if you try a battle of will, uh, you know, with a three-year-old that you're going to sit there until you eat those peas, um, they're stubborn. You know, they realize that you're going to die before them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, there are times where I think they would wait you out on that. Uh, but the true, that's true leadership there when you can get them to want to do it and not only want to do it when you're there, but want to do it when you're not there and, and want to do it and teach it to others uh, long after they've grown up. And we've already kind of hit it on it, but really when you pause and try to understand their side, which is something you, as a good leader, to get someone to figure out why they're not doing something, you really need to see it from their perspective. I've been reading the Dale Carnegie book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And the number one thing he talks about is make sure you spend the time to understand the other person's viewpoint. That's really what it comes down to is you need to understand why they're feeling this way, what's triggering it. I find that almost every time they have a strong emotion, it's some other emotion on the other side of the room that's actually causing it. This is just how they feel that the best way to react to it. So you have to become a detective and figure out what the real emotion is. And uh, now that school started, I've started something called bedtime talk where I just lay in bed with the kids, even my three-year-old and we just talk about random things. Um, but like, I want that because sometimes you get a good piece. Like my daughter admitted that she had a bad day almost three days ago and she hadn't told anybody about it. But that was her behavior had been reflective of that bad day at school. And so then once they got it out, then she was able to move past it almost. But you've got to be that detective. Well, I'd go beyond detective and say sometimes a hostage negotiator. True. Um, there's a great book out there called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And uh, Chris is an ex-FBI hostage negotiator. And he writes this book. And it's very entertaining. But you could write... Uh, you could read it as a business leader. You could read it as a marriage book. You could read it as a, um, as a parenting book. And the whole idea of not doing a battle of the wills, not you want this, I want this, and we're going to fight over it, but to come, how can we solve the situation? And, uh, you know, uh, so from the standpoint of, he gives some great examples in there of like the, the bank, uh, the bank robber that has the hostages that says, you know, I want $10 million in cash as opposed to just saying yes or no, just saying, Hey, look around how much cash is in that bank, right? How are we going to do this? It's a cashless society. There's probably not $10 million of cash, um, you know, within a hundred miles of here. And then they go, Oh, never thought about that. And it pushes that back to them. And, you know, we want to solve this, but let's solve this together. And then he says the same thing, you know, when the, the kid wants to go to Disneyland or Disney World this weekend and has a meltdown. Well, how are we going to do that? Because, you know, we got to go to church on Sunday because you like to do that. We've got this birthday party on Saturday and let them think through it. And because you both want the same solution, you know, you both want to be happy at the end of the day and, and nobody get hurt. Dale Carnegie talks about that. I've been, I've been trying to figure out how to apply it, but uh, he talks about the getting two yeses, mm -hmm. reframing what someone's bringing to you and getting them to say yes quickly to two things around the topic that they can't help but agree to. And then they'll start seeing it to your way. Yeah, I think there's powerful questions in how and where it goes back to that, you know, um, uh, it's your ship book. We're not used to saying how as leaders. We're saying yes or no and solving the problem. But if we can make the followers think, 
um, and help solve their own problems, I think I think we do better. And that that goes for uh, family and and uh, kids too. Well, how can we do this? So that is uh, that is I've, I've really enjoyed everything that we've just talked about here. I'm just kind of like pausing and reflecting on it and. We've really just went through the entire gambit of being a dad almost as far as like a one-on-one manual. Um, you, you mentioned that like right now you, you're at a season of life where you spend one month out, or one week out of every month somewhere else. Go ahead and talk about what your life is like right now and, and go ahead and talk about what that business that you have today that's allowing that to happen because there's a lot of guys out there that don't even see this world as it being able to exist. So go ahead and um, explain what your life is like to now in your business. Yeah, and... Uh, the world has changed drastically over the last probably five years. It's a world of abundance, right? Abundant choices, abundant calories, uh, abundant customers. And one of the big problems that we have is, you know, we, we can reach so many people, but it's just adding to the noise. So, you know, one of my things is how can you get in on the conversations? And that's something that we really started to work on probably about five years ago, uh, about 2014 of could you use targeted podcast interviews almost like we used guest blogs, right? To get in front of the right audience, to tell your story, um, to not break through the noise, but get in on the conversation. And over the last five years, we've built an agency um, that works with coaches, authors, speakers, consultants, brands, to get them on the targeted podcast interviews, uh, to talk to their ideal customers, to get that know, like, and trust. And uh, Interview Valet is a, a team of 18, and we're all remote. Not everybody wants to live in Kalamazoo, Michigan, uh, and it's, it's, uh, it works out well. We've got a few military spouses in there uh, on our team because, you know, they're moving around all the time, um, and it's a perfect uh, career for them. So, uh, you know, it's, it's been a wonderful journey, and one of the things I love about it most is that the richness of your life is the richness of your relationships. And, you know, now today, uh, you know, through the internet, through podcasting, um, through free tools that we have, we can be more connected than the president of the United States probably was 20 years ago. And we can do it for free. Um, you think about it, 20 years ago, uh, the president didn't have uh, internet uh, on Air Force One, and now uh, you can probably get it on on Coach on any airline out there. So it's an amazing time, and uh, so we're really enjoying it and uh, enjoying this season of my life. And as you were uh, talking about different seasons, I, I had to think. Um, last Wednesday, I got to uh, walk my granddaughter to kindergarten, and it was so great because. She held my hand all the way up to the uh, the door, and then we stopped, and she gave me a, a hug and a kiss, and uh, it brought a tear to my eye because I remember driving her mom to school in high school, mm -hmm. and there was a stop sign probably four blocks away from school, and whenever we'd hit that stop sign, my daughter would lean over, and this was like freshman, sophomore year before she was driving, and she'd give me a kiss on the cheek and say, you know, uh, thanks, Daddy, I love you, because she would never do that at school in front of her friends and everything like that. So it was far enough away, and I just thought, well, uh, there's going to be a time in the very near future where somebody won't want to walk, hold my hand and walk up to the door. So going back to that. I wouldn't have held it together either. I would have lost it. I was actually, I was actually getting a little bit teary just listening to it on this side because – I can imagine you had like a very much of an out of body experience of seeing two moments of same, like almost same experience, but through different time and how full circle life came back around and how quickly that time passed between those two points you had where you walked your daughter to kindergarten for your daughter and then your granddaughter that probably in that moment felt like that was yesterday, but yes. even though it was 25 years probably. And it, those little moments are the ones where you really, can kind of like recenter on what matters and how fast what matters really moves through. Yeah. And you think about in, in a military career, 20 years sounds like a lot uh, when you're 18 years old. Um, and then when all of a sudden you're 38, uh, 20 years went fast. And it's the same way with, with being a parent, you know, mm -hmm. you don't get 20 years. Uh, uh, you might get 18, but uh, really it's probably more like 16. Mm -hmm. And it's, 
there's been a couple of dads that I've interviewed that they've got out at like 13 because they knew they weren't going to have a family if they made it to 20, like because of what the, they have to sacrifice. And it's not just 20 years by yourself that you're going to do a lot of things in that time. And there's always something I talk about that your, your kids are going to betray you at the same time. So making sure you focus on your wife and making sure she's, she's a priority because she's going to be there on the other side of whatever happens. And yeah. it's something that you can lose sight of as well. I have one question to ask you about your interview valet. Where were you or what kind of mindset were you in? Bef- like, I'm sure there's a moment like a, a before Christ and after Christ where you didn't see that this life was ever even something available. And then where you were like, wow, this life, I could completely transform how we do. Cause a lot of people like have a goal to do what you're doing and travel maybe a week out of every month. Then there's people don't even really realize that their life has an option like that. So what, where were you in your, in your life when you were making that transition that like I could really redefine my entire life of how I live it? Um, yeah. And it's, you're right because we always base the future on the past, right? So most of us looking, okay, whatever was there, we add 10% to it. But when we go through different stages in life, you know, um, high school was a lot different than the military, right? Mm -hmm. It's a totally different stage of life. The rules didn't apply. And I think once we became empty nesters, had a a virtual company, um, we went back to what we, what we knew, right? Which was the old way. And it's like, well, those rules really don't apply anymore. So I think really you have to always, um, have to challenge yourself. Am I, am I making, decisions based on current reality. And I can't say that it was a flip, flipped a switch. And we like went from one to another, we talked about it. We struggled with it. Uh, Then I can remember one time my wife and I uh, were talking and it was a spring day and it was a nasty, cold, rainy, snowy weekend. And Monday and Tuesday were supposed to be beautiful. And she looked at me and she's like, okay, so we both work in this company that we own. Why do we have to have Saturday and Sunday as a weekend. She's like, could we work Saturday and Sunday and then take Monday and Tuesday off and go to Chicago? And I'm like, my first thought was, no, that's against the rules. You know, work days are Monday through Friday. Uh, that's when the factory works, right? And I'm like, yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. And so with that, we had that flexibility uh, to do that. And in some ways in the military, you know, we had flexibility when you were deployed, you were deployed when you were home, uh, you had more flexibility in that. But I think sometimes we go to this, um, this default culture that existed 30 or 40 years ago. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, we go to that because we know it. Uh, but I think, you know, our kids that someday will laugh at that, you know, even now it's like, how come, how come school goes from eight to three or, um, you get summers off, you get summers off because that's when agriculture came in. Mm-hmm. Um, that's stupid. Yeah. The, uh, I like what you said there. And I, I think the military part is related to like, there's a manual for every problem you have and there's, there's rules for all the different scenarios that happen. And if there's not, then you use your training to make a new rule, but it's all based on rules of you can even go back to like the Geneva convention where everything is in the, the basic confines of these are the box you can make your decisions in to battle war. And in life, what the next, this last five years that you mentioned is really kind of breaking is that Americans in many ways, we probably the ones that created this ourselves the worst is we created this, this standard life and there was this default mode, but really now as the internet has really kind of shattered that old mindset and it's now, it's still probably a piece of glass, but it's really fractured and it, you can just really break all the rules and do anything that life is about really just stepping into who you want to be and then creating that life. And there's absolutely nothing stopping you except yourself. And, and we think that the last hundred years or the last 50 years is the way it's always been. Um, I I laugh sometimes when people talk about work-life balance, what, what's work-life balance. I don't think that existed a hundred years ago, maybe 150 years ago, there's no farmer that I know, especially uh, my uh, great uncle was a dairy farmer. You'd like this from being up in Wisconsin. He did not have work-life balance. The cows didn't know when it was the weekend. They didn't know when it was holidays. He had work-life integration. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Christmas meal was planned 
around, around Uncle Doug around milking the cows. Time. Birthday parties are planned around. We, gotta, we can't be at a birthday party. We got to go home and milk the cows. Exactly. So it was work-life integration, but he never said that on a, um, uh, you know, Tuesday afternoon, he couldn't go to the, the kid's school and, and go to a program because it was working hours. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's funny. It's like uh, so many of the limitations that we set or the expectations um, are on ourselves. And, and going back to you on the rules there, one of the best leaders I ran into um, at the Naval Academy was a gentleman by the name of Leon A. Edney, uh, Commodore, United States Navy. And I always respected him, and he taught us a lot because we had this manual that was probably five inches thick, and it was the Midshipman Conduct Manual or something. And it seemed like once a week, we had to update it because there was something new in there. <laughs> and if you got in trouble, you had to go in front of the Commandant. And um, Admiral Edney was the only one that did this. The other guys weren't like this. The manual was right there. And he would always ask you one question. Why did you do this? Or why did you think that this was the best thing to do? You know, why did you think um, that this brought honor to the Naval Academy? So, you know, uh, TAPS uh, curfew is at midnight and you get in at 1230. Um, you're in trouble, right? But you just sit, he'd be there. Why, why did this happen? And if you could say, um, you know, we were driving home, somebody had a car wreck, they had a flat tire. Um, we stopped, we helped them. Um, and we thought that was the right thing to do. And he'd be like, yep, that's right. Doesn't matter what the manual said, but if you start to be a sea lawyer and try to say, well, I took this word to mean that I could or couldn't. It's like, no, his big thing was always do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And um, there, there's never going to be a rule for everything. Uh, you can't teach your kids to do everything. You can't teach them the rule for everything. But if you can teach them to think and do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, uh, you'll like the results. That's really good advice there. There's, I wanted to share what I have a similar kind of uh, dream for my kids. So my wife's a kindergarten teacher and she's always going to teach. So I always have this kind of like 10 month uh, box to, to work through for how much freedom we're going to have in these early years. I've often said that this podcast, I want it to become a business so that way I can work 10 months out of the year and we can go on vacation for two months, like just leave the home and not come back till a school time. And I mean, I've never met someone that said that dream, but think of, I mean, there's not that many reasons why people couldn't do that, especially if you're an entrepreneur, if you already have your own business, there's almost always a way in 2019 to engineer it for you not to be there. And think of how many people can just get up and go on vacation for two months. And it's not that expensive if you know how to do it. And just think of the freedom and experiences that that two months will give you every year. And at times it, you can make money doing it. Yeah. And you can hug your kids and be on the beach and be making money. I got friends that live in Austin and by and large, they all go to uh, Costa Rica when South by Southwest comes into town, right? Because they can rent their house for an obscene amount of money and they go to Costa Rica and and actually make money while they're there. Got other friends that live in Nashville and they do a very similar thing. Um, You know, when the country music uh, awards come in, they can rent their house out and in, in one week, probably pay for three months in the mortgage. And so uh, I remember one year they uh, went from there down to Destin, Florida. Um, and because it was, it was cheaper to live in Destin that week than it was to live at home in Nashville. So uh, just different rules with that and um, just be, to be creative on it. And if it, if it feels like the right thing, then it's like what you're saying. It's the right thing is always worth doing. And Doing not doing something because it's some unwritten rule from 50 years ago isn't necessarily the way to live a fulfilled life in 2019 nowadays either. Well, Tom, I, uh, I, if we, as we ramp up this interview, because I've absolutely loved it, and it's been a, I think what I liked about it is we, you're at a different season, and looking backwards is just a very good lens to look at. What's one more piece of advice you want to leave for military dads out there uh, that can wrap up your all the wisdom that you've accumulated? It was something that was said to me early on, and you said there's a manual for everything, um, and I wanted the manual for being a dad. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yes, somebody, we all. <laughs> somebody helped me early on and said, we're all making it up as we go. 
right? Uh, that, um, that NCO, um, the first day that he's an NCO, he's never done it before. He's making it up as he goes. The, the president of the United States, um, there's no training course for it. Uh, there's no manual. He's making it up as he goes. And I think it's the same thing with being a parent. Um, I looked at my dad and thought, man, he knew everything, right? He was the smartest guy. I just want to be as good of a dad as he was. And uh, he passed away about 17 years ago. But I remember telling him that before he passed away. And he, he laughed. And he's like, by the grace of God, I didn't mess you kids up. He says, I was making it up as I went. And so it's sort of the same thing. We're all making it up as we go. Um, I don't know how to be a grandfather, right? I didn't know how to be a, a, a father. Um, the best thing you can do is do your best, try doing the right thing, um, pray to God, uh, and then ask other people. Uh, and keep you know, growing, think, keep growing and just keep moving. Well, and the other thing too is surrounding yourself with good people and surrounding yourself doesn't mean just people ahead of you, but it means peers. Uh, it means people that are behind you in life. You know, the questions that you ask as a father at 35, help me as a grandfather, uh, at 54. So, uh, just, we're all making it up as we go and just enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And getting back to doing life as a tribe, because for 3000 years, we men did life in tribes. And in the last 100 years, the rules were changed. And I believe the, the crux is trying to get back to that tribe and especially military dads, because we miss that tribe and you need that good tribe around you to, to share the load. Cause you, there's a lot of life that you can't handle what it gives you and you're not meant to, but that's why you need that tribe around you and community and well, Tom, I've absolutely loved this interview. I really have appreciated your time today and I look forward to getting this out. And I am positive we brought a few dads home with your wisdom today. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show. And I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet on iTunes, I would really appreciate it. And you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.